If you have your Bible with me, with you, or would like to turn with me uh, to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 7. If you'd like to use a Bible in the back of the pew, you could use that. Mark chapter 7. This morning we are going to read a large chunk of this chapter, verses 1 to 23. And for the first time in several months, we're going to have at least a two-parter. We're only going to get to part of this passage today as we think about ultimate matters in life, the most important questions that we ask. This morning as we begin this passage, we are going to consider with Jesus the question of authority. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, 
sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. I am not a fan of introductions. I don't like those short, cute little stories that catch your attention and help you clue in to what I'm about to talk about. Just a confession for you. They're my least favorite part of a sermon. It's my pet peeve. Let me tell you a little bit about why, maybe help you understand a little bit. First time I ever preached in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at a church plant that I supported, I gave the introduction about how I, as a middle schooler, thought I was great at football because I could whip everybody in the neighborhood in the front yard playing football. And so I thought, I'm going to join the freshman football team in high school and show everybody how great I am. Well, that didn't work out so great. That's the short version of the story. Two, three, four, five years later, as I would go back to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a friend of mine would come up to me every single time and say, hey, I love that story about backyard football. It was great. It just made me think about how I was like that when I was in middle school. That's an encouraging comment. It's nice that people remember you. But you know what? That story was just the introduction. It really had nothing to do with what God actually wanted to say through the sermon. But the one thing he remembered was the introduction. The minor point made him miss out on the major point. That's why I hate introductions. I don't want to confuse you about what is the main point. I may be doing that right now, and I hate it. The Pharisees were kind of like that. You see that in their combat with Jesus in the book of Mark. When they come up to Jesus with a question, it is never about the main point. It is always about some secondary matter, some little itty-bitty question, some nuance of the law that they're trying to figure out, and Jesus gets exasperated because he's trying to teach them the main truth that the kingdom of God is here. What we see in this chapter, this pivotal chapter of conflict in Mark chapter 7 between Jesus and the Pharisees is that while the Pharisees want to think about the little stories, the little things, Jesus is here to talk about ultimate matters. And in this first paragraph of this chapter, they deal with the ultimate matter of authority. Mark is showing us this truth about Jesus and the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God answers our most important questions. The kingdom of God is not here to help us know every single nuance help us to fill in every single gap about how to live for God. The kingdom of God is here to declare to us Jesus Christ is the king. Repent and believe. As Jesus answers the question of authority, deals with the question of authority with the Pharisees, we we have this question that we need to answer. The question of authority is this, friends. Where do the rules come from? 
Where do the rules come from? How do you know how to live for God? Where do you get your rules? In Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, we have a heavyweight title bout. Jesus versus the Pharisees. But this isn't the first fight. This is the second fight in the series. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees come to Jesus and accuse him of working for the devil. Never mind the fact that Jesus has the authority, has the power, has the ability to bring healing to a man. Forget about that. What about the Sabbath? And so they accuse Jesus of working for the devil. In Mark chapter 7, the disciples have just finished this miracle tour where Jesus has fed the 5,000. Jesus has walked on the water. He sent the disciples out to proclaim Jesus, to do miracles. And they come back, and they're like little kids running to the table. They're just hungry, ready to eat. And so they don't even take time to wash their hands. They sit down and and plunge straight into dinner. And the Pharisees, caught up in those little matters, come up to Jesus and say, hey, what's going on? Why haven't your disciples washed their hands? Why are they coming to the table defiled and unclean? Now, in 2021, with everything that's gone on the last couple years, it's important to let you know when they talk about being defiled and unclean, they're not talking about hygiene. They're not worried that Peter hasn't used hand sanitizer before he eats. They are worried about his spiritual cleanness. Someone who is unclean could not come to God, could not approach God in worship, could not be around the people of God. And so the Pharisees confront Jesus. This is what they're thinking. Surely this new religious leader in town would want his followers to demonstrate how serious they are about following God. Don't we want people to know that about us? How serious we are about following God? The root of this debate has nothing to do with washing your hands. The root of the debate is the question of authority. Where do the rules come from? Have you ever played Uno? Simple game, fun game, dangerous game. How do you know how to play Uno? Where do you get your rules? Some will tell you that if you throw down that infamous black draw four card, that the next person in line automatically has to draw four cards. That's how I play. Some people will tell you that if you drop that black infamous draw four card and the next person in line has a draw four card as well, they can throw it down and make the next person draw eight and they don't have to draw anything. Now, if you're playing Uno and you have one set of rules and you're playing with somebody else who has the other set of rules and that draw four card comes down, all of a sudden you might have reason for a fight. At least if you're as competitive as me when you're playing Uno. But you got two sides working from two different rule books. In a much more serious matter, 
Jesus and the Pharisees just threw down the draw four card. And the question is, what rules are we playing by? There's two answers to this ultimate question. Where, where do you get your rules? Two answers. I want you to see them in the text. The first answer comes from the Pharisees. The Pharisees answer the question, where do we get the rules? Our tradition. How do we know how to live? Our tradition. Look at verse 5. You can see it. Mark writes, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Moses, in the Pharisees' eyes, and in the the Jewish people of the day, many of their eyes, Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai, did not only have the Ten Commandments, he had two laws. He had the Ten Commandments, the Torah, and in his other hand, he had the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was a set of laws that was handed down from Moses to the rabbis. And every rabbi in every generation passed down the Mishnah. The Torah, the Ten Commandments, the five books of the law, and the tradition. The law answered what God commanded. The tradition answered how God expected us to follow those commands. The tradition filled in the gaps. The Ten Commandments only went so far. They left a lot of questions unanswered. And so thankfully, the rabbis had this Mishnah tradition that would fill in the blanks and answer all those little questions that you may have about what God really meant about the law. It made the gray black and white. There's an example here in Mark to to help show you what that looks like. The law tells us, honor your mother and father, the fifth commandment. But the Mishnah, the tradition handed down from the rabbis, had a loophole. It said, you should honor your father and mother unless you've made the vow of Corban. Basically, Corban was a vow to God that everything you had belonged to him. And since Numbers says once you make a vow that's permanent, you can't go away from it, you have to stick to your vow. And so since everything belongs to God, nothing you have can be used to help your mom and dad. Even if there's an emergency, even if there's a life-threatening situation, even if they have no other hope or means for life, if you have given the vow of Corbin, God demands that you do nothing for your mom. So Mishnah gave them a loophole to disobey the Ten Commandments. There's another example. These guys went deep with it. The law, the fourth law, says that we should keep the Sabbath day holy. But the Mishnah answered the very important question. If you have a wooden leg and your house gets set on fire on the Sabbath, can you go inside and pick up your wooden leg and take it out of the house? Because picking up that wooden leg, that's work. And the Bible says... We shouldn't work on the Sabbath. 
So can we carry our wooden legs out or not? I thought you might think that's amusing. I think it's amusing. The, the, the thing is, it shows you the Pharisees took it serious. They really wanted to live for God. That was the heart of it. They wanted to be holy. And the reason for all of this was, now get the, you got to track with me here. In the first century, the Greek culture is on the rise. Jews are tempted to live more like the Greeks than the Jews to fit in, to adopt practices in the Greek culture that were not acceptable for God so that life would be easier, to accept certain practices and ways and relationships and activities that God would frown upon so that they could make it easier in society. And the Pharisees came up with all these rules and regulations to protect the people of God from being tempted to go buy into that culture. To give them a holiness and a structure, an order, a way of life that separated the believers in God from the pagans. And if we just followed all these rules and followed all these traditions, then it would be obvious that we love God and we are different than them. Does that sound at all familiar? How many ways has the church tried to protect itself in the same way? I could tell some funny stories, not about wooden legs, but about churches and cards and movie theaters and pants and dice and drums and on and on and on. Like the Pharisees, we have answered the question, where do you get your rules with the answer, our tradition? There's another answer in this confrontation, Jesus' answer. So that should clue you in on which one is right, right? Jesus answers the question, God's commandments. Jesus does not even try to answer the question about washing hands. When he counters the Pharisees, he goes for the jugulars. And there's a lot to consider here, but I just wanted to show you four words in verse 6. See where Jesus gets his answer. Look at verse 6. Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, ready, as it is written, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus makes it abundantly clear where we should find our authority, and he continues to do it. Verse 8, he says, you leave what? The commandment of God. Verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting what? The commandment of God. Verse 13, you make void what? The word of God. Jesus found his rules in the word and the law of God. We see this in the desert. When Satan tempts Jesus to turn the rocks into bread, what does Jesus say? Matthew 4, 4, he answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Brothers and sisters, no matter what the world may say and no matter how tempted we are to say something different, Jesus believed that the Word of God was the ultimate source of authority and truth. It was his authority. It was his answer to the question, where do the rules come from? Now, friends, we see how the Pharisees answer the question, and we see how Jesus answers the question. But when we read about this story, it does us no good unless we ask the question of ourselves, where do we get the rules? What is our answer? What is your answer? How do you live your life? It's easy to pick apart where the world goes off on this question. I could do that really well, and you would agree with all of it, and we'd all leave excited that we're not like them. It'd be really easy to pick this apart in the Catholic Church, where in their doctrine, in their catechism, they announce that they have three sources of authority. God's Word's only one of them. Tradition is the second, and the Pope is the third. And it would be really easy for me to expose to you how off that is and far off that is from Jesus' word here. But it would miss the point because you and I are the ones sitting under the word of God today. So we don't need to answer the question for them. If we put ourselves under the authority of the word of God here today, we should answer the question for ourselves. You may say, we believe the Bible. Of course we do. You may say, it is our authority. It is where we find the rules. Let's put it to the test. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, I am like living on the edge right now. I know it. I'm going to try to do this as lovingly as possible. But I just want to test this theory. Do we believe the Bible is our authority? Is this, is this true? The Pharisees found this loophole with Corbin. Where do we find our loopholes? How about weddings? How many times do we set up a wedding and say, well, I know we shouldn't do this, but it's a wedding. I know this might not be entirely appropriate, but it's, it's our one day. Why not? Or where do we get this idea that pastors are supposed to perform weddings? Where's that rule in the rule book? Do we do it because we think God might approve of our wedding if there's a minister officiating? Where's that in the rule book? Here's a dangerous one. What about holidays? It'd be real easy to go after Halloween. It's a week from now. But what about Christmas? I know I probably shouldn't do this, but it's Christmas. It's the season. Do you know the Bible never says anything about Christmas? So anything that we think we're supposed to do for God for Christmas is tradition. Doesn't come from Him. Comes from us. Y'all ready? Y'all aren't ready. Come on, people. What about retirement? I know God tells me I should live my life this way. 
that I should serve other people all my days, that I should be sacrificial, that I should give, think of others as more important than myself, that I should work hard for the Lord, but I'm retired, so I don't have to be there for that. I don't have to keep giving. I don't have to keep serving. I got a boat. Where do we get that? Not the rule book. How many times in conversations, oof, y'all, y'all aren't ready, do we say, I know it's in the Bible, but, you know, we, we church member meetings, right? We have a vote that's 51-49. The Bible says, agree with one another, practice unity, wait for one another, put other people's interests before one another. But because we have a 51 to 49 vote and Robert's book of order tells us that this is how we should act, what do we do? And where do we get that rule? Scripture or tradition? I know the Bible says that we should submit to the government, but our nation's in trouble. I know the Bible says we should honor the emperor and respect the king and pray for the king, but is ours the rightful one? I know the Bible says that we should only have physical intimacy between husband and wife, but me and my fiance, we love each other. So God probably sees us as husband and wife already. I know in this room, I've heard it. I know what the Bible says. You've shown us what the Bible says about elders, but I'm a Baptist and I believe in deacons. Have a friend, great friend, love this friend means so much to our family. Not here in the area, so don't try to figure out who this is. You're not going to get it. Shows both sides of this situation with Jesus and the Pharisees. I remember a Sunday where it snowed like crazy, like 8, 12 inches or something. And our church decided, Lord, we're going to still have worship that Sunday. We're going to live for God, right? So, Both of the pastors decide, the weather's terrible. We're going to wear jeans to church. Soon as we walk in that door, this great friend, I cannot believe what you are wearing to church today. How are you honoring God with what you are wearing? Where's that in the rule book? Meanwhile, same friend, again, love this friend. Love this friend. Sat with, sat with them this, this summer. And without me saying anything, presents to me in conversation. You know, I know our pastor teaches that the Bible gives different roles for men and women in the church and in the home. And I know what Paul says. But I, I think Paul just had these opinions 
I'm not sure how many of them are actually gods. And see, I grew up in the 70s. I grew up in this feminist spirit of I am woman, hear me roar. And so I just like to put Paul's opinions in the right spot. I know what the Bible says, but. And friends, if, that, if any of this makes you nervous and puts you in the corner, that, that's good. But I, wa- I want you to see why we have to be consistent and we have to rely on the Word. If, that, if that's valid and if someone can just wipe away Scripture by the culture they grew up in, then when someone comes to us and says, I grew up in the 2020s and I know what the Bible says about gender and I know that I was born a male, but what's your argument? You don't have one. Where do we get our rules? Friends, my goal is not to preach a sermon on each one of these points today. My point is just to kind of prove that it would do us no good to read this passage and just think about the Pharisees and look down on them about how silly they sound, about washing their hands, and not consider how easy you and I can be cornered by the question of authority. And how easy we can take tradition and make it our law. That's why Jesus says in Mark 7, verse 13, and many such things you do. So let me encourage you to to press in here. If any one of these has tripped you up and pressed you and confronted you, I want to encourage you. When you read the Bible, how do you approach it? When you read the Bible, this is what you should ask. Whether I'm reading it up here on a Sunday or you're reading it by yourself, just you and God at the coffee table on Monday, every time you open the Bible, you should ask, Where am I tempted to resist? What idol is under attack here? What tradition, what habit, what lifestyle do I have that I'm clinging to that the Word is attacking? Friend, live by every word from God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do we believe that? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119, verse 1. Believe this truth, brothers and sisters. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now compare these two answers. Where do you get your rules? Our traditions or God's word? 
compare these two. Maybe you're not convinced, and I want to try to convince you why it is good and blessed to walk according to the law. Put these two on the scale and see how they look compared to one another. Friends, one is human, the other is divine. One is temporary, the other is eternal. One is confined to a limited geographic place, a certain people group. One is continuing to spread to the ends of the earth. One is prone to human error and partiality. The other is entirely perfect. One is superstitious. The other is supernatural. One promotes our works and our efforts, and one promotes Christ. Our traditions may carry a lot of weight and influence today, but which one do you think God cares about? Martin Luther, as he drove this point home against the Catholic Church 500 years ago, declared this, brothers and sisters, and we need to hear it today. We must make a great difference between God's word and the word of man. A man's word is a little sound that flies into the air and soon vanishes, but the word of God is greater than heaven and earth, yea, greater than death and hell, for it forms part of the power of God and endures everlastingly. If you think I'm exaggerating the point here, pressing it too hard, consider how Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. Consider how he speaks to those who would hold man's word over God's. This is your king speaking. Look at verse 6. None of this is for me, brothers and sisters. This is Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible open, please look at it because I don't want you thinking it's coming from me. Mark chapter 7, verse 6. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Jesus says they are putting on a show. They may take spirituality seriously, but their spiritual life is a performance, and God is not fooled. Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, Paul says, These things, these rules, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but watch, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Jesus doesn't hold back. He keeps going. Verse 7 Jesus says, in vain do they worship me. The Pharisees think, and we think, when we're doing all these rules, checking off all the boxes, dressing the right way, talking the right way, not doing the wrong things, doing the right things, that we come to God and present something to him that impresses him, that he owes some gratitude towards. But at God's throne, Jesus says, If that's how we come to him, we are empty-handed, in vain. That's why the prophet Amos in chapter 5, verse 23 to 24, God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I don't want to hear them. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If we try to build our life based on performance and works, do we think Jesus is going to change his tune? Do you think he'll talk to us differently than the Pharisees? Brothers and sisters, these are ultimate matters. 
It may seem harsh. It may seem heavy. But don't miss the good news of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, don't be like the Pharisees and get so caught up in some little thing that I just said that you missed the point of the kingdom. The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to follow rules to get into the kingdom. You don't have to perform every thing that has ever been established by man just so that you can have access to God. You don't have to wear a certain kind of clothes. You don't have to do a certain kind of thing just to be in God's presence. That's good news, brothers and sisters. We don't have to obey our way to God. God does not expect you to wash your hands, much less clean up your life. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, the word made flesh, so that Jesus could obey every one of God's commands for us. So that he could live by the rule book in our place. So that he could die on the cross, crucified by some religious, rule-following scribes and Pharisees. And crushed in our place for our sins and disobedience against God's law. Jesus took our idolatry. He took all the ways that we made religion. He took all the ways that we tried to get to God and put him put them on himself, and God crushed it, destroyed it in Jesus so that when he rose from the dead and we put our faith in him, God could look at us and see holy rule followers. Did you know that? You don't have to follow the rules to get to God because God sent Jesus to you to give you his spirit, to give you his heart so that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus's perfect obedience and righteousness. So this game of trying to earn God's favor is ridiculous. It's already been completed. It's already been accomplished. There's no more room for growth and improvement. Jesus has done it. Friend, repent and believe. That's the message of Mark. Turn from trying to earn your way. Turn from thinking the rules matter. And believe in the kingdom of God that establishes life and righteousness today. When we let Jesus reign, his word rules over our lives. His spirit empowers us to fulfill it. Let me ask you a question if you belong to Jesus. Last question I want you to think about. If you belong to Jesus, if you belong to the kingdom, how can you show the world who has authority in your life? How can you show your family and your neighbors, your co-workers, where the rules come from? Friend, every time the word is opened, every time the Bible is opened in your life, in public or in private, open your life to Jesus. Give him access. Let him demolish anything in your life that is based on your tradition and not the word. Give up your golden calf to follow the king. 
And when you find that point of conflict between what you think and the Bible thinks, when you find that point of conflict between what the world thinks and the Bible thinks, between what the church thinks and the Bible thinks, between what Baptists think and the Bible thinks, between what the pastor thinks and the Bible thinks, between what your mom thinks and what the Bible thinks, between what your family has always thought and what the Bible thinks, follow the Bible. James chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. When I was in India one time, I came to a village severely under the oppression of darkness. We walked through the village, saw many things, prayed for many people got to this house, and these people come to us and beg us to deal with their problem. And underneath the floorboard of their house, they had their man-made idols of stone. And they were able to tell us they knew that a lot of the problems that were going on, a lot of the things that we had seen were going on, were somehow related to these Idols of stone. And we, the Christian heroes from the West, were in town, and they knew that we could do what they could not do and wanted us to deal with it. And I will tell you what I told them. They're your idols. You break them. They're your false gods. You crush them. They're your tradition. You destroy them. Brothers and sisters, they may not be made of stone, but if they are keeping us from living for God, we must do the same. 1 John 5, verse 20 to 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. When our rules come from the kingdom of God, the burden is easy and the yoke is light. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Brother and sister, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Feel that good news. You don't have to work your way to God. You don't have to be Mr. Super Holy. If you recognize what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, love him. And love the people he put around you. And God will empower you to do that and bring honor and glory to his name. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.